I call each transgender person a snowflake because our process is so different and so unique. And so it's important to say that my process dictates medical intervention because that's what my body calls out for. And as soon as I take the next step in my medical intervention, my anxiety just evaporates. For other people, they don't need that. And it is all completely valid. For Rewire Radio, I'm Jen Stanley, and this is Choiceless. Imagine you had a serious medical issue, and the doctor who diagnosed you identified the best course of treatment. But the hospital you were being treated at disagreed with your medically accurate, scientifically sound diagnosis on the basis of its religion. Should that hospital be able to ignore medical opinion and scientific fact, potentially putting patients at risk on religious grounds? What if that hospital is the only hospital you could be treated at? These are some of the questions posed in today's story. My name is Evan Michael Minton, and I'm 35 years old, and I'm a legislative aide for the California State Assembly. I started questioning my gender about six or seven years ago. I don't have the traditional transgender narrative where I knew since I was a kid. I didn't. But growing up, I always had a sense of shame about myself, and I never wanted myself to be my home. Looking back on it, I was also completely disassociated from my body. I can see that things never fit for me. I was in the production of The Vagina Monologues. And in that production, in order to be the best that we could, we had to peel back layer upon layer upon layer of ourselves. And lo and behold, um, I was reading the part of a transgender woman, and lo and behold, it just clicked for me. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm transgender. And it came into, I think I might be transgender. I don't want this to be it. I think I might be transgender. I don't want this to be it. And I thought to myself that I was a monster. You know, I thought to myself that I was a pervert for being transgender. It felt like being, stepping into outer space. There was no, there was just darkness all around me. I was in a black hole. And I remember one of the pivotal moments was, I was driving home from work one night, and it was dark, and it was raining heavily, and I was just crying. And I had to pull over at a gas station because it was no longer safe for me to drive. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, I think I might be transgender, but I don't want that to be it. She said, in my whole life, I have never had to question my gender. If you have to question your gender, then I think that it is something that you need to explore. And that's when it became the dark nights of my soul. I could no longer go by female pronouns. I, sh- I could no longer go by she, her, and hers. And so I asked my family 
and my colleagues to start calling me by male pronouns, he, him, and his. And eventually, I picked my name. And I say that I tried on names like I was trying on suits. And none of them completely fit me. And then I remember it being late at night. I was parked outside of my friend's house getting ready to go in. And I just from the very depths of myself, the name Evan appeared. And I just knew instantly that that's what it was. And I had my phone with me and I checked to see what is the meaning of the name Evan? And I saw that it said young warrior. And I said, this is it. It felt like home. And it still feels like home to hear people call me by my correct name and to hear people call me by my correct gender. On one hand, I'm used to it. And on the other hand, it still feels so affirming and validating. It just feels so good. Because it took me so long to get here, to get to where I am now. As Evan progressed in his transition, he knew that ultimately he would need to get bottom surgery. This was a step, a bigger step in my whole transition to being the complete man that I know myself to be. Evan consulted with a phalloplasty surgeon who told him he would first need a hysterectomy at least three months before the phalloplasty. His primary care physician, Dr. Lindsay Dawson, was supportive of Evan's transition. As an OBGYN, she would be performing the hysterectomy at Dignity Health Mercy San Juan Medical Center, the hospital where she had admitting privileges. The hysterectomy was the most scary intervention I've ever had. I've been on testosterone, I've had top surgery, but... The hysterectomy was taking away, as I felt, all of my remaining female parts. And it was very emotional for me. Dignity Health follows Catholic ethical and religious directives, and Evan had some concerns about the hospital's religious affiliation. He was afraid that they might misgender him or treat him differently because he's transgender. And that's not an unfounded fear. The median time spent teaching American medical students about LGBTQ issues and how to provide culturally competent care is about five hours through their entire training. Evan felt lucky to have found Dr. Dawson and wanted to be sure that the rest of his care team was ready to handle his case. When a hospital representative called him to go over pre- and post-operative procedures, Evan asked her to make note of his gender and pronouns. He said he was pleasantly surprised with how understanding the hospital representative was. It eased his nerves a little to know he was going to be in good hands. Then, the day before his hysterectomy was scheduled, he received a phone call from Dr. Dawson that devastated him. She said, Evan, I have bad news. I had no idea what she was going to say. And she said, is your sister with you? And I said, no, I'm by myself. And she said, I need to let you know that your surgery has been canceled. And when she said that, I was in my parents' bedroom and I fell down on the floor crying hysterically. 
my doctor had a hysterectomy scheduled immediately after mine was. And she told me that it had been on the books for weeks. And that that hysterectomy was not canceled. That mine was the only one that was canceled. Because the hospital followed Catholic ethical and religious directives, they wouldn't allow any sterilization procedures unless their intended effects were to cure a present and serious pathology. Dr. Dawson declined to be interviewed for this episode, but last summer in another interview, she told Rewire that she was very familiar with the Catholic directives and that she read them carefully before scheduling Evan's surgery, and she didn't think it would be a problem. In her medical opinion, Evan's gender dysphoria was a serious and present pathology, which was best treated with medical interventions, and in this case, bottom surgery. The hospital ignored Dr. Dawson's medical opinion and Evan's lived experience, and claimed it was able to do so because of a conscience refusal law, a type of religious imposition that allows healthcare workers and others to deny services based on a moral or religious objection. With the hysterectomy canceled, Evan's phalloplasty would have to be postponed indefinitely. The thing about my whole transition is that my body tells me when it's time to take the next step. My mind doesn't control it, my body does. And it can be a horrible nightmare to have to go through that. But what happens is that I get terrible anxiety. I have a feeling where I want to crawl out of my skin. I can't handle it. And... The more days that pass, the worse it gets. And so I knew, my God, if I had to reschedule my phalloplasty, how in the heck could I live like this? And so I worked as hard as I could from every angle that I could to get this darn hysterectomy. And that included working with my friends at the Capitol. I'm blessed to have such good, well-connected friends. And so they pulled in their friends who pulled in their friends who pulled in elected officials. The Affordable Care Act is the first and only federal law that prohibits gender discrimination in health care. Evan had this on his side. So he talked to lawyers and then he talked to the media. Eventually, Evan found another hospital that would be willing to do his hysterectomy. But of course, Dr. Dawson didn't have admitting privileges there, and she needed to have her admitting privileges vetted in order for Evan to have his hysterectomy in time for his scheduled phalloplasty. The new hospital eventually scheduled his surgery. He was still nervous something would fall through, but at least now he had lawyers on his side. They say that in order to have the best recovery from surgery possible— You need to be in a really good space prior to the surgery. Up until 10 o'clock the night before, I didn't even know if it was going to take place. I'm lucky that I'm strong enough that I could take it, that I could roll with the punches. However, I was still really cautious. Um, My attorney, who was still on vacation, she told me, to make sure to have her cell phone number in my cell phone just in case. And each time when I went through the admittance process at the new hospital, I made sure to 
<laughs> loudly proclaim, oh yeah, I'll give this information to my attorney just in case anyone thought of doing anything that would have prevented my surgery from taking place. But my mom took me to the hospital and, um, and I document my journey. And so I took pictures with my mom and I outside of the hospital. And, uh, you know, I was, I was looking forward to getting the hysterectomy because that's all that I wanted. That's all I wanted. And so the morning of, I wasn't even scared anymore. I was just excited. The surgery was a success, and three months later, Evan had his phalloplasty. He's still recovering, but he's happy he was able to make it through with the help of a supportive family, friends, and his doctor, Lindsay Dawson. I'm a very visual person when I'm going through a hard time, a very emotionally challenging time. And I remember as I was going through this time, I could just picture myself with a bunch of vines thorny, tangled, gnarled, thick vines right in front of me. It took a long time to make it through those vines in order to find a clearing. And with the help of therapy, I was able to find clearings. And with the help of being able to unpack this within myself and lay myself out and not be so cooped up within myself, I've allowed people into my life and friends into my life who cut those vines down with me. And right now, I still have those vines, but they are in the distance. I can see the sky now. It's not dark. I'm in a clearing. I'm in a field. I see the blue sky above me, and it feels good. Evan is currently pursuing his legal options in hopes that his case will help create systemic change so that other transgender patients can get the care they deserve. And that's really important right now because one in six hospital beds in the U.S. are part of a Catholic hospital system, and that number is growing. Next week, we'll hear from a woman whose life and future fertility were put in danger when a Catholic hospital refused to perform a therapeutic abortion to terminate her unviable pregnancy. This episode of Choiceless was produced by me, Jen Stanley, for Rewire Radio, with editorial oversight by Mark Folletti, our director of multimedia. Amy Littlefield, an investigative reporter for Rewire, contributed research for this piece. Jody Jacobson is our editor-in-chief. Brady Swenson is our director of technology. Music for this episode was by Doug Helsel. Special thanks to all the staff at Rewire, especially Rachel Perrone, Lauren Gutierrez, and Stacey Burns, our communications and social media team, for getting the word out about Choiceless. To learn more about religious imposition laws and anti-transgender legislation at the state and national level, visit our website at rewire.news choiceless. Thanks for listening.